and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, May 2nd, 2021. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Hello. Good morning. So, with us, we have uh, a very special guest who is uh, the third part of our representing the west side of Manhattan, uh, from <laughs> from Hell's Kitchen to... Uh, the, the West 50s now in the Upper West Side. Gretchen Cryer is joining us. Hello, Gretchen. Hello. Hello. So Broadway fans will uh, know Gretchen because uh, she did uh, one of the uh, – we have to talk about this because it's one of Peter's favorite plays, uh, 1776 on Broadway. Um, and 110 in the Shade, a musical adaptation of Anna Green Gables uh, that she adapted – uh, opened at the Lortel in 2007. So, Gretchen, thank you for getting up on a Sunday morning and chatting with us. It's a pleasure. So, Gretchen, tell us, how did you... Uh, you have to help me with the name of the town. Is Dunreath? Dun- That's right. You got it. Dunreath. <laughs> Population 200. How really? did you get from yes. Dunreath, Indiana to Broadway? <laughs> well, it was... Um, a gradual process because my dad, <laughs> my dad sold school supplies, and among the supplies that he sold were velvet stage curtains. And somehow I became enamored with having stage curtains. My brother and I set up little stage in our house. Wow. And so at a very young age, we started performing with these velvet <laughs> stage cur- curtains. And um, my first play that I wrote was called The King and the Fairy. And that was for my, I was the fairy. I was five years old and my brother, the king, was two and his was a non-speaking role. I was the one who, who cavorted about the king and did, had all the speaking. But the way I ultimately got into show business is that after my freshman year in college, I did summer stock and, um, and was introduced to all the great musicals. You know, the, at that time, summer stock would do the, you know, Carousel, Oklahoma, Paint Your Wagon, the, all of the basic wonderful musicals. And so I started out at age 18, being able to be in them. And then that year also at DePaul University, I met Nancy Ford and we wrote our first musical. Um, After, (laughs) actually, I think we wrote our first musical before I had even seen one. Uh, But so my training really was all by doing starting out in, well, (laughs) writing plays for my brother and me, but then uh, being in summer stock. And I did about four or five uh, summers of summer stock, which then, you know, by that point, I would have done, say, 50 shows. Um, (laughs) and, and, And you tend to just absorb that into your muscle memory and everything, because I never took any classes in uh, writing 
musicals, uh, but just by performing in them, I absorbed structure and absorbed how to use music in shows. So it was learning by doing. Okay, but is anybody discouraging you saying girls don't do this? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, because when Nancy Ford and I first were in New York with our very first show, Now's the Time for All Good Men, we had actually written three shows in college before we ever got to New York. And when we were in college, nobody discouraged us because nobody thought that we would actually go ahead and try to do it professionally because both of us had married men who were going to be ministers. And so both Nancy and I thought we were going to be ministers' wives. But then they both went to Yale Divinity School. Nancy and I were there as wives writing another musical. And both of our husbands decided to quit Divinity School to go into show business. So that's how I ultimately got to New York, was riding on the coattails of of my husband um, when he decided to go into show business. Well, I guess somebody would say there's not much of a difference between the two, but that's another story. So um, now is the time for All Good Men, um, a a very controversial show for its time. Mm -hmm. Um, For those who don't know it, it does deal with a teacher who comes to a small town in Indiana, isn't it? Right. And uh, and he has new ideas and one of the most charming lyrics ever when he talks about uh, I I may teach a jira do because you know you don't hear that very often and of course he has all these new and progressive ideas and the town doesn't want any part of that at all mm-hmm. uh, so a very very controversial show for time because it was also had an anti war feeling to it too didn't it absolutely because he had been um, he had been uh, a a person under fire in the war and could not kill. And he had been court-martialed. And then, so he's back, he's in this small town having been, uh, you know, in prison. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, another charming lyric because he meets a a, a young teacher. I think she's a teacher and um, I've never seen the show. I I have to say, but I did read it a long time ago and I love the original cast album, but Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, I I think she's a teacher who's um, is, is is taken with him uh, and taken with his uh, worldliness. uh, Mm -hmm. And she wants to know about the world. And she says, does London have a bridge? Does Scotland have a yard? What a wonderful (laughs) lyric. (laughs) That is so good. What a way of showing naive. You know, I mean, that, that's really quite wonderful. So uh, yeah, this was a show that was early in Clive Barnes' career, as I recall. And um, didn't he not like it and come back again? Is yeah, this he, yeah, exactly. He yeah. did not like it. <laughs> and he came back again because it became in its four month run kind of a cult yeah. Uh, musical because it was uh, well. Yip Harburg came and was a big. I mean, he and I became friends. Oh, wow. uh, I can see what you would like show. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he loved the show, <laughs> and so Clive agreed to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, it you know the show had a following, so that's why he agreed to come back. And you know, I can't remember if he. Liked it. I may. I think he sort of liked it a little bit better the second mm-hmm. time. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I, well, I'm reading that it, it it opened in 1967, which you know was the yeah. the, 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 the 
flashpoint for, I mean, it's the summer of love. It must have been yep. quite something for people, audiences to see something with that subject matter at that time. This yeah. is even before hair. Uh, you opened yeah, it, it was month. just right before, before hair. hair, right? Yeah. Mm. So, uh, so uh, you, so, and it's it's not necessarily a show that one would expect from two women. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, I, speaking to that, I remember someone after one of the shows, an audience member came up and said, "Did you two girls write that all by yourselves?" Uh-huh. Oh my goodness! <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Um, uh, so I missed that, but I did see last week days. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And uh, frankly, I've been a, uh, a I've taught um, musical theater courses. And the first song I always play for students is my most important moments go by. Oh. Uh, for, for those who don't know uh, the song, uh, the, the rest of the lyric. Uh, and I don't even notice that they're gone. And I think that's really something all of us uh, have a tendency to do. We don't notice when our big opportunities show up or when things that will really affect the rest of our lives uh, happen. So we have to pay attention more. And that's a song that I love to uh, play for students to let them know that they should do that. So uh, but now now this time you had a show that ran. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It did. In spite of uh, three months in, there was an actor's strike. And um, I'm not sure if it was three months in, but it was pretty soon after we opened. Uh, we got uh, incredible reviews across the board. Mm-hmm. We, Nancy and I always said, well, I remember after that show, we said, oh, my God, we will never get reviews like this again. And we haven't. <laughs> uh, But anyway, so it was a once in a lifetime thing to get all, all rave reviews. But then there was an and we were selling out every Mm -hmm. ticket. And then there was an actor's strike and we had to shut down for a while. And then when we opened after the actor's strike was over, we opened up and that week there was a newspaper strike. So we couldn't even advertise we were open again. Nevertheless, um, it kind of came back and it ended up running about a year and a half, Mm -hmm. as I recall, which was a miracle given that we survived two strikes. How did it happen? These were two one act musicals. Yep, that's right. But they were the same character. The character of Isaac was in both of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, tell us about Isaac. You mean about yeah, who he was? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, he was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was wonderful. Played by Austin Penalty. Mm-hmm. Pen- Pendleton in a, you know, an absolutely defining role. He Austin was brilliant in it. Mm-hmm. He was uh, Isaac was this tragic comic comic uh, wreck of a guy <laughs> who mm-hmm. uh, basically thought of himself as a life poet. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to capture every moment of his of his life as a work of art. So he carried around with him all this equipment, cameras, uh, audio recording and so forth, musical instruments and stuff, because he was trying to make capture every moment of his life. And his great sadness was that there was no one to watch. That he, mm-hmm. he was recording everything, but there was no one to watch. And so he was looking for a relationship and, and then therefore he hooks up there's uh, Isaac and Ingrid 
uh, are stuck in an elevator. There's a blackout and they're stuck in an elevator. And so he's trying to make the most of the moment and, and capture it while he uh, basically tries to seduce this young girl who is an, a secretary. And uh, she's the one who sings my most important moments go by. And I don't even know it till they're gone. Uh, and that is how she defines herself, in fact, yeah. uh, because he says to her, um, who are you, Ingrid? Who are you? And he's looking for some wonderful metaphysical answer. And she says, I'm a secretary uh, because <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, but uh, yeah. And um, it was an important role for Frederica Weber. But then Alice Platon took over. And I have to say, that's who I saw when uh, mm-hmm. so I started after the fact and she was just delightful in it. Uh, just wonderful. So. Um, so. All right. Here you are. You, you're doing pretty well now. And uh, Walter Kerr says it's my favorite rock musical. I'm sure you remember mm-hmm. that quotation. Yeah, so I <laughs> so um, how does uh, shelter happen? Um, that's next, isn't it? Yep, that was next. That was just uh, three years later. Yeah, well, Shelter was another small musical, a four-character musical, plus the voice of a computer. Mm-hmm. And um, I always think we should have stuck with Off-Broadway. That was the one Broadway show. Tony mm-hmm. Walton was the designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was quite a spectacular, but four characters, um, you know, the attempt to make it fill a Broadway stage probably was not a good choice. But because I think that the producers wanted to go the Broadway route because The Last Sweet Days of Isaac had been so well received. So they thought they were going to take a chance with that. And indeed, um, that's a show that I wish we could revive because it was about a guy creating his own existence inside a TV studio. He's a a writer for TV commercials, but I mean, the show is about self-delusion and creating your own reality, but he literally is creating his own reality with his best friend, Arthur, the computer. He, and he is creating his own, uh, you know, a starry sky. He lives in the studio and he creates a starry sky at night and sunrise at whatever hour he wants and the smell of plum blossoms in the air. Well, this was written way back before personal computers and it was written metaf- as a metaphor for creating your own reality. Hmm. But now (laughs) this is a reality with smart homes and, you know, all of that. Um, And I wonder if what it would we did a reading of it at 54 below. I don't know a few, maybe two or three years ago. I can't remember. And actually, my son, Johnny, played the role of the guy Ah. uh, in in that reading. And um, and it was very interesting because I remember Austin came to see the reading at 54 below and said, Oh my God, you've got to do this now, right now. <clears throat> it's right now. So that would be fun. And it would be an in- inexpensive show to mount really, because it's four characters and a computer. All right. Now you have to tell us a story that has <laughs> flummoxed so many people who correct, 
collect original cast albums because I'm looking at the playbill and it does say original cast album recorded by Columbia Records. Now, <laughs> um, I, I do recall a 45 being released at the time. Mm-hmm. One, by the way, that my little son was crazy for. He used to uh, flap his little arms and sing Fly, Fly Away when he was about oh three God. years old. Yes, indeed. Big favorite of his. Um, but um, what's the story with the album? I hear okay. that it was planned. It wasn't planned. Uh, you just did it yeah. on the fly. What happened? There was going to be an album, and we mm-hmm. did those two cuts. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think, and but they because we only ran for one month on Broadway, they decided not to do the whole album. They had done, and I forget which two cuts. They may have done. Woke up today. Okay, woke up today. Yeah, and and, um, I think Fly Fly Away, or is that a different? Oh yeah, yeah, Woman on the Woman on the Run. Yeah, is that what it's called? Okay, yeah, I think. (laughs) Yeah, they did. I think they did release those, but here's here's the good news. Harbinger Records, which um, is run by Bill Rudman out in Cleveland, uh, his musical theater project is putting out a retrospective of all of Nancy's and my work. Uh, He does this thing called Hidden Treasures, Mm -hmm. and, and it's going to be a collection which has shelter on it the whole entire Mm -hmm. the entire original thing which was never released and it will have that and it'll also have our show about eleanor roosevelt which has not been produced in any major way we've had a couple of workshops of it and it'll also have um still getting my act together which hasn't been produced other than in a couple of staged readings at the york um so it that Harbinger Records is going to, I think it's going to get released sometime in July or August of this year. So that the Shelter album will be on it. Okay. Hmm. But here you are saying the Columbia Records didn't do the album. But I mean, I had heard you were in the studio doing the two cuts and you said, while we're here, let's do the (laughs) album. Is that what happened? Yeah, because it was just, it was kind of just fly by the seat of the pants and everybody agreed to stay and everybody, and we just did the whole thing. <laughs> Michael, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Oh, just, uh, I, I don't own this, but I know there's a 1997 recording on original cast records of the, a rewritten version of Shelter, uh, a show mm-hmm. called Shelter, which apparently combines uh, it with the, the first act of oh, last, last sweet days. Is that correct? that's right. That's right. That was done at the York. Yes. We, we decided to put the two shows together. And I so recall Willie Falk is the guy. Mm-hmm. The stuff. Um, and uh, yes, that's right. I had almost forgotten about that. We used um, the first act of Isaac and because that was the the two who were stuck on the elevator together. And then we used a very condensed version of Shelter with making the Isaac character the main character in Shelter, which sort of fit. It sort of fit. It was just an interesting, it was an experience, experiment. Jim let us experiment. <laughs> Jim Morgan. And mm. so uh, we tried. We just tried to do it. I didn't end up liking it that much mm. because I really liked the two separate 
I, right. I liked the last Sweet Days of Isaac the way it was originally, and I really liked Shelter uh, as you know, standalone piece. Trying to put them together uh, didn't. I didn't think that worked too well. It did have a good cast, though. In addition to Willie, yeah. you had Ellen Foley, yeah, and yeah. Ellen Sowney. Ellen Sowney. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not for, and and Romain Fourge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that would have liked to see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was really good, but but nevertheless, it, um, I think it was uh, misguided. Yeah, yeah. To gotcha. do it. Uh, were you still with 1776 when you were uh, doing Last Sweet Days of Isaac? Did you keep that yes. job? Uh-huh. Yes, I did keep that job. Uh-huh. Were you under studying yeah. both roles? Uh huh. Uh, both Virginia Vestoff and Betty Buckley. Did you yeah. go on? And the, did you go and on, I on? I went on for Virginia a lot, like a dozen times at least. Betty Buckley, I only went on once for her, uh-huh. which was amazing because her character did not appear until the second act. And Betty often did not come to half hour as i recall 43 times in a row she didn't come 43 times in a row (laughs) yeah Uh, and so i was always thinking i was going to have to go on for betty (laughs) Ah. (laughs) she didn't show up at half hour so um i almost thought you know i thought i was almost going to go on many many times and i ended up I think only going on once or maybe twice, but Virginia, I went on a number of times and then I was still in that when uh, the last sweet days of Isaac opened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so were you with 1776 uh, in New Haven and Washington? Uh-huh. During- uh-huh. Oh yeah. All I right. was there way back before it was cut from uh, three acts. I mean, they ended up cutting one entire act out of the show and one another role that I was going to be um, oh, sure, yeah. uh, uh, standing by for. It was a mm. role of a woman on yeah. the battlefield who was a prostitute. Yeah. And uh, sure. And, <laughs> and they cut, they cut the whole act. Right. Right. Yeah. So obviously you must've bonded reasonably well with Miss Vestoff since she wound up being in last week. Um, and I'm getting my act together too. Absolutely. She replaced me after a year uh, in uh, the last sweet days of uh, in uh, I'm getting my act together. Yes. Yeah, we were best friends. Um, Mm. Unfortunately, she was ill. Actually, when she went into the show, she had already had uh, breast surgery at that time. And I've often felt rather uh, well deeply saddened of course i think she chose not to do chemotherapy because she was going into the show and didn't want to lose her hair you know oh gosh Uh, and um and then she played in the show until she almost couldn't walk anymore uh so she she was wonderful and she was my best friend at the time so Um, but, uh, that certainly became uh, a show that uh, was done by many, many women in many, many places. And I, I remember Phyllis Newman went in too, for a mm-hmm. while, um, in the, uh, off Broadway run, but, and Carol Hall even, uh, <laughs> yeah, she and Nancy Ford went in for eight weeks near mm-hmm. the end. Actually, uh, she went in, Nancy went in 
to the show when I was doing it in California. I did it for a year in New York. And then I think the next place I did it was Chicago. And um, it ran a year in Chicago, but I was only with it there for a few months. And then I think Phyllis Newman came in there and Donna McKechnie did it. She was great. Betty Aberlin did it. In, oh, it, it really became quite uh, quite a thing for people to be in the show. Tell us yeah. the genesis of it. Did Nancy say to you, did you say to Nancy, listen, I've got this idea? No, it came in the middle of a performance that we were doing at the cookery. Uh, Nancy and I were doing songs that we called a scrapbook of our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a period after Shelter had opened that we just started writing these personal songs. And we also simultaneously had for about five years wanted to write a show about the changes that women were going through, but we just didn't know what form it should take. I mean, should it be like just a soap opera thing of, you know, what, what form should this thing take? And there we were singing at the cookery one night and right in the middle of a song while I was singing, I thought, oh, my God, we can make it be about a cabaret singer who wants to do her new act. She's writing personal songs that are the the scrapbook of her life, her life. Uh, And she, she wants to tell it like it is now. She wants to do a new act. But her manager wants her liked her the way she used to be with her old act. And this whole idea came right in the middle of singing a song. And uh, at the end of the song, during the applause, I turned around to Nancy and said, okay, Nancy, I know how we can write this show. And it's going to be called, I'm getting my act together and taking it on the road. And then I turned around and launched into the next song. So it was just a gestalt that had been brewing for five years, trying to figure out how to do this. But it was a combination of our deciding to write songs that were a scrapbook of our lives. And that kind of then led to I'm getting my act together with the character who was doing songs that were a scrapbook of her life. I did not get to see the show at that time, unfortunately, but I did get to see it years later at Encores, which I oh, with must, must have been an incredible experience for you. Maybe you could talk about that for a bit. Oh, Renee Elise Goldberg. God, yeah. she's fantastic. And um, it, well, it was such a thrill. And Fred Weller played yes. the manager. Uh, it was it was just wonderful and very exciting uh, to see it. And then and then Renee did Hamilton after that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, yes, that was a thrilling thing. Uh, one of my favorite things in the shelter playbill, which I'm looking at right now, is uh, in your bio where you say uh, she is the mother of John Seven. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, did you encourage John to go into show business? Was this something you tried to discourage him from? What? No. He, well, he just was there, uh, <laughs> you know, early on and uh, going to I mean, he was starting to go to our shows by the time he was five. Mm-hmm. And um, and and at that time, I was still married to David. Actually, no. Uh, 
David and I divorced when the when Johnny was four and mm-hmm. Robin was six. Uh, but so Johnny was there all the time in you know the various shows and backstage. He just thought that was part of life. Uh-huh. And, and so early on, he uh, became an usher at the Equity Library Theater here uh-huh. on one hundred and third Street mm-hmm. down the street. And, you know, that was an introduction where he just started learning. He learned dialogue, ushering every night and stuff. Um, so early on. And then he went to Stage Door Manor. Uh, as, uh, <laughs> I think he started going to Stage Door Manor when he was about 11 or 12. And boy, it just immediately um he found his niche. I remember the first thing I saw him in, he was in a little musical called Earthlings. And his his one line that he had, he would walk to the front of the stage and say, I am a rich man. And this brought gales of laughter in the audience. <laughs> and I could see the gleam in his eye. And I knew, <laughs> I knew, okay, I think this is it. But at Stage Door Manor, of course, he was playing roles like the grandfather. In <laughs> and sure. so I never knew for sure that whether he was good or not uh-huh. until I saw him in Torch Song Trilogy. Hmm. And he was really good Mm -hmm. uh he was he replaced matthew broderick in torch song and uh that's when i knew okay i think this kid has got it so i never discouraged him i never did because Mm -hmm. i could see that he was really good we'd like to welcome a new sponsor to broadway radio upstart we haven't had the official word yet but you and i both know it's only a matter of months before broadway reopens And that means we have to get ready to buy some tickets. Are you carrying credit card balances month after month? You're not the only one. High interest rates make it hard to pay off your debt, but Upstart can help. Join thousands of happy borrowers who have made that final payment. Do you dread looking at your credit card statement every month? Well, we don't blame you. Upstart can help lift that weight off your shoulders so you can finally feel the relief of being free of credit card debt. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple, fixed monthly payment. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score. Like your income and employment history, this means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 and $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash Broadway. That's upstart, U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash Broadway. And don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based upon your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash Broadway. We'd like to thank Upstart for sponsoring Broadway Radio this week. And then then he, not long thereafter, he replaced Matthew in Brighton Beach Memoirs. Yes, but the story behind that, though, is, ah. is more complex because initially 
he was first going to replace Matthew Broderick in Brighton Beach Memoirs. And he got that job, understudy, and was going to go into the show. And he was in rehearsal for it. Mm -hmm. And it turns out about three days into rehearsal, Gene Sachs came and decided that Johnny was not going to be able to cut it. This is before he had done Torch Song Trilogy. This is his very first job out of high school. I think he was barely 18. Maybe he was still 17. Mm -hmm. And so he was three days into rehearsal. Gene decided he wasn't going to make it. And so they set about looking for somebody to replace Johnny. They let him go ahead and rehearse for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And the day upon which he was to show his performance to Gene, because they always rehearse with the stage manager, not with the actual director, um, they handed Johnny his pink slip. And he, it was uh, stunning because there had been no hint. No, nobody had said to him, John, you really need to work on blah, blah, blah. We need to have to pick up the pace. We need mm. to hear you. They, they never gave him direction. They simply fired him. Gosh. They had found, well, of course, at that point, I would like to have hammered Gene Sachs into the mm-hmm. pavement had I run <laughs> on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but Johnny's attitude was amazing. He was angry because he came home and said, I could have done it, mom. I could have done it. They didn't even let me show my performance. And literally, I think the next day, he got the call about Torch Song Trilogy, that that they needed to um, replace whoever was doing it at that point. But it had been originally Matthew Broderick's role. Right, right. And uh, and I thought, oh, my God, are they they're still going to keep him knowing he has been fired from Brighton Beach Memoirs. So um, he did. They did keep him. They did. the He did the job and uh, was really, really good. Opened it on the West Coast and got great reviews on the West Coast and got his first movie um, with Demi Moore at that point. And. So flash forward from one year from the day when Johnny was fired, I, as a Tony voter, went to the theater one night and was seated next to Gene Sachs. Oh, my God. And, and, and Gene turned to me and said, hello, Gretchen. How is John doing? And I said, Gene, he's doing fantastically well. He opened bright, uh, he opened uh, Torch Song on the West Coast, got rave reviews, got his first movie opposite Demi Moore, and he's just gotten uh, another movie. The next day, they called Johnny's manager, Manny Eisenberg was the producer of, mm. of uh, Brighton Beach, called uh, Johnny's manager, Marty Tudor, and offered him Brighton Beach memoirs. This is one year after he'd been fired. Oh, I forgot to tell you the punchline. After I said, after I said all of that to Gene Sachs about Johnny's success on the West Coast, mm-hmm. Gene said, I always knew he was going to be That's a right. star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, oh. and that line in stage door man, it turned out to be true. I'm going to be a rich man. Yeah, so, uh, that's right. That is true. See, they, they laughed back then at that yeah. line when he delivered it. But 
<laughs> All right. Now, the thing is that um, these shows that you were doing back in the 60s and 70s uh, had a rock sensibility uh, that wasn't often heard on Broadway uh, or even off Broadway, for that matter. You were on the, really on the vanguard of that, um, this new sound with Nancy Ford. Um, was this something you said we're going to change things or was just this is the way we write? Yeah, well, see, we came out of a Rodgers and Hammerstein tradition, and our first show, Now's the Time for All Good Men, was definitely uh, sung dialogue. You know, it was mm-hmm. the sure. Rodgers and Hammerstein tradition. Last Sweet Days of Isaac broke that mm-hmm. mold. Mm-hmm. The music was used in a completely different way. In Act One, it was sung dialogue, but it was because Isaac was trying to be a life poet and would sing certain things. Mm-hmm. And he would make Ingrid sing certain things to elevate the moment. So there was a rationale for why they were bursting into song. And... uh and then in Act Two of Isaac, there was just a rock group up above the action on stage, and they were called the Zeitgeist, and they just interspersed uh, songs that were thematically related to what was going on on the stage below. So it was a completely different use of music. Um, Shelter was uh, computerized, uh, <laughs> uh, generated <Yes>. music. <laughs> Uh, accompaniment. Uh, and then uh, I'm getting my act together. The songs were all songs in Heather, the characters, um, um, in her act. So it wasn't sung dialogue, but it, but Heather in her act, in I'm getting my act together, in her act, she sometimes did scenes. And so in in certain ways, we used that old form of sung dialogue in the scenes that Heather was doing in I'm Getting My Act Together. But overall, every one of the songs was part of her act. So it wasn't sung dialogue. Now, in this show that we wrote about Eleanor Roosevelt, which has not gotten on in any major way mm-hmm. thus far, we reverted to the old... Um, Rogers and Hammerstein because we chose to do a kind of period sounding yeah, sure. uh, yeah. music for them. I mean, we didn't go the route of Hamilton and mm-hmm. try to do a, a modern thing, mm-hmm. even though the Eleanor show, it takes place in the cosmos after everybody's dead. And it's a uh-huh. giant birthday party, 125th or 150th, whatever, whatever it will be by the time it gets on mm-hmm. uh, birthday for Eleanor, but it it is redolent of the 20s and 30s and 40s, the music of that time. So it's more in the old Rogers and Hammerstein vein. Still getting my act together is the same format as getting my act together, yeah. which mm-hmm. is songs in her act. Now, uh, if I recall correctly, Albert Poland uh, said in his book that uh, Barbara Streisand paid mm-hmm. for the cast album of um, uh, Now is the Time for All Good Men? I can't remember if she paid for it, but she recorded one, one of the songs. Song. Right, yeah. It, it's called uh, He Could Show Me, mm-hmm. and it was uh, released 
on a 45. It's and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I should I should send it to you because Nancy found it the other day and just said, look what I found on MP3 of that recording. And it's absolutely gorgeous. It's wonderful. Uh, Do you recall how that even happened? Uh, Did you know her? Uh, Did somebody know her? How did the song get to her? No, I see the show. No, but I think that they. I can't remember. Tommy Volando may have been our publisher at the time, and he may have known her. But it, she decided to do that song, I think, based on hearing the score of the show. I think that that time they thought the show was going to be a big success. And so she recorded it. But it was it was on the B side of her first rock number. And I forget what her first rock number was. And so that do point, I. Go and on. that 45 never, never really went anyplace because we do were, you mean do you mean Stony End or before that? I don't know. Uh, I guess so it would have been our, sh- our song was on the back of was the B side. Yeah. Of, of her supposedly her first rock number. And I don't remember what it was. And are you saying that uh, your song uh, was never included on any of her albums? I don't think it was. I don't think it was. I think either. it was, yeah. think it was re- released as a single. Uh, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Hmm. so, Gretchen, tell us uh, how you um, made this transition from the stage performer, and we talked about your writing, but also to d- your directing projects. Mm-hmm. Well, the transition first from being a performer to being a writer happened right at the time of the last Sweet Days of Isaac, because um, my husband and I split up at that time, and we had two little kids, and uh, he moved to the West Coast. So I was very much a single mom here in New York, and uh, Last Sweet Days of Isaac opened and was a huge success. So I thought, okay, I think I better go the direction of being a writer instead of being a performer, because A, I am a single mom taking mm. care of two little kids mm. in New York City and cannot go out of town and mm. you know, can't mm. go take a job in some regional theater mm. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I better, and, I, and it looks like I'm a good writer because Walter Kerr is telling me that. So uh, I decided to go the direction of being more a writer, even though I did perform occasionally after that but not much um so that was that transition and then the thing of being a director has come about only in the last 10 or 15 years i started teaching a course called creating your own solo performance i was asked to come to go to Colorado College, and they asked me to teach a course called Creating Your Own Solo Performance. And sent, and they somehow thought, because I had done I'm Getting My Act Together and performed in it and had written it, a lot of people thought that was a solo performance show. It wasn't. It had a rock band and it had four sure. other characters. But anyway, so I taught that course and uh, can't was there for a semester, came back to New York and decided to teach the course here. So I started doing that. And basically, I was taking people from the blank page uh, and helping them learn how to get into their stories and then 
shape their stories and then ultimately perform their stories. So I started directing solo performers first, which I have done. Well, a, a lot of people whose who's solo pieces started out with a blank page, I have shepherded all the way through to performance. Then the one full thing that I directed, well, I did direct one uh, showcase of Eleanor at Williamstown in the late 80s. I did direct that production. Um, but but then I directed um, a show written by David Ippolito, who is that guitar man from Central Park. He wrote a show called Possibility Junkie. And I think maybe six years ago, five or six years ago, I can't remember how long ago, um, maybe a little bit longer than that. We did it at the theater for the new city and we did it under extreme circumstances. It was a, it was a workshop thing. And I remember I never had the whole cast to be able to, to run the whole thing until two days before we opened. It was one of those things being on a showcase code where anybody could, the actors don't have to show up. Uh, for every rehearsal, if they have an audition or something important that they have to do. Um, so that was, a, it was a very difficult rehearsal period, but I loved it. And um, David Ippolito says that if he ever gets it on again, he wants me to direct it. So directing has, has been part of my life, but it's not like a major thrust mm-hmm. of something uh, except having to do a solo performance, I am ha- putting together a package of five solo shows with people who that I've worked with from the blank page on. Uh, and we had booked the Cherry Lane for this last, well, for this May, for now. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the, mm-hmm. that fell apart. One of the solo performers is my very own son, John Cryer, who um, is doing a solo show that is uh, based somewhat on the memoir that he uh, wrote called, and this, I forget the name of his memoir, but anyway, his solo, <laughs> his solo show is going to be just really great. But I have four other people whose solo shows are just fantastic. And so we have booked the Cherry Lane for a month who knows which month it's going to be. I just don't know whether or not this fall, you know, we thought maybe we should aim for October. Don't know. But I have directed all those shows, all those solo shows. So, uh, in fact, have you noticed that there is a certain mistake that virtually everybody makes when he or she does a one-person show? What? Tell me. (laughs) No, I'm asking you. <laughs> Do you oh. find that there is a mistake that uh, that, uh, that you see time and time again when people come to you, you say, "Oh, you know what you're doing that you shouldn't be doing." That's no, I mean. no, because they don't they don't come to me like that. They start out with a blank blank page, and so we uh, this thing gets created together. Not together. I'm not co-creating it with them, but I am guiding them along the way. And of course, there will be points where I say, "Okay, uh, no, no self-pity, no poor Mm -hmm. me. There can't Mm -hmm. be any poor me if Uh you no matter how if you're writing about the most terrible of circumstances, you have to be like John Leguizamo and 
do it hyperbolically and make it funny, mm-hmm. you know, so you can't be. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I was just going to, yeah, I was just going to say, I would think being too heavy handed would be, yeah. the, the, would be the worst sin and something like that. Yeah. Uh, but, and to make sure that, the, you know, the, there's always enough humor in it uh, uh, because that's a trap that one can easily fall into in that kind of a show. Mm-hmm. Peter, to Peter, do you uh, was it you that uh, had commented that uh, a performer should never cry, that they should be on the verge of tears? And well, uh, if you want the audience to cry, you shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. something I feel, um, something I learned from Martin Charnin, I have to say. Um, so, uh, yes, I do think that's a very significant thing, and I can fully understand why you say no self-pity. Uh, let the audience feel the pity for mm-hmm. you. And the stronger you are on stage, the more pity they'll feel for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you before- feeling- oh, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I forget. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Everybody has to go through stages like that. <laughs> yep. And you see it right before you. I'm breaking down oh, before yes. your eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Gretchen, before we let you go for the. Um, uh, for the morning uh, to move on with your Sunday uh, day. Uh, what are you looking forward to uh, when Broadway reopens? Oh God, it's just going to be an explosion of joy. And uh, I feel as though, I mean, I've been out on the streets in the last day or two since we're talking about, we're opening up New York and mm-hmm. Oh my God, last night I actually I went out to dinner at the Cafe du Soleil up here in my mm, neighborhood yeah. and and watched the Kentucky Derby, mm-hmm. you know, sitting alone at the little table next to the bar. And it was just so thrilling to be mm-hmm. out and about in, in a festive mood. So when Broadway opens and theater in general, it, you know, it's probably going to be really hard and really difficult to begin with because... The landscape, I mean, when we open again, it's so hard to, for producers to make money in the theater anyway, unless mm-hmm. you're Hamilton or, you know, mm-hmm. shows only come along once every five years or more. Um, so for people to be taking a chance on the theater and also then habits have changed where people watch things on zoom and all that sort of stuff, which by the way, has wrecked my eyesight and drives me crazy. I'm so tired. <laughs> of zoom. Uh, but I feel like there's going to be a great joyousness about going back to Broadway and I'm looking forward to it so much, but I don't know if like little theater is going to be able to survive. How soon are people going to feel comfortable Mm -hmm. sitting right next to each other? Mm -hmm. Um, And dear Lord, let's hope we don't have another surge like what's happening in India. I don't think Mm -hmm. we will because people Mm -hmm. are getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I just think there's going to be dancing in the streets when it finally Mm -hmm. does does open again, but I don't know when for sure that's going to be. Do you guys know? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do hear, we, we do hear, hear yeah. yeah. So we hear that uh, there will be Shakespeare in the park. So mm-hmm. that's a wonderful thing because mm-hmm. last year was the first time they had missed mm-hmm. since I believe 1959 or 19. 19- yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
So, Gretchen, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Broadway yes, Radio. It's really wonderful to speak with you. And uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this. Loved making your acquaintances over the invisible screen here. So this week we've had uh, a little bit of news with uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio saying that that New York City is reopening. Um, we're not really quite sure what that totally means for Broadway, but we also talk, heard talk about a return in September of, uh, of Broadway. So, you know, what are your thoughts? Have you heard anything interesting? Well, what I do think is he shouldn't be saying New York is opening up completely if Broadway isn't. Uh, I think right. the, uh, <laughs> I think that's a very odd way of putting it. Uh, so uh, because when I heard Broadway was opening July, uh, when New York was opening July 1st for real, for uh, blah, blah, blah. And I really said, well, there we are, um, because we've had so many false starts here. I remember May 30th was the last one we heard officially. So uh, who knows what's going on? But um, what Gretchen just said is something I experienced yesterday, uh, which was indeed um, I uh, took the subway down to Union Square. And when I got out there, that place was packed. Mm. So I do think that uh, the city is coming back even before July 1st uh, in terms of people being confident. And it's really good to see people out um, just having a wonderful time. Michael, any thoughts? Uh, not really. I, I, too, was out yesterday and had a similar experience. Uh, you know, certainly the, the, the feeling in the air, I think, is, yeah. is a very good one, uh, even as, you know, the tragic news from India, which, sure. which Gretchen alluded to, is so, so sad. I actually have a friend there. Um, but Wow. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're hoping for the best. As I, as I mentioned, again, uh, plans are going forward, as far as I know, for uh, – uh, for the New York Shakespeare Festival in the park, they're going to be doing one show uh, th apparently th this summer rather than two and running it longer. And then, um, which one is it? Is it Midsummer Stream? You know, I, I yeah, I don't either. Look it up. It's see. a music. It's a musical based on. I see okay. some some Shakespeare, right? Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that either. Uh, yeah. But um... so uh, my my thoughts about. The reopening of Broadway um, uh, are a little bit apprehensive because, mm -hmm. sure. because uh, we, we don't know at what level can um, mm -hmm. at what level can the, the, the can the theaters reopen to what percentage of, of seats sold and things along those lines, and while we have had a relatively good percentage of uh, New Yorkers in the tri-state area uh, getting the vaccine. Um, Broadway really depends upon a tourist audience, and yeah. and we, are the tourists going to come back to New York? And if non-vaccinated people come back to New York, is that going to cause a problem with us? Do we have a chance of another spike and another mm. shutdown or Indeed. things like that, or some sort of what is the new normal going to be? Yeah. I also heard a rumor that um, 
that the Tony Awards are going to be scheduled for September 19th. Uh-huh. So uh, we'll have to keep our eye on that and see what happens. Rob Johnston in the uh, chat room says the uh, Shakespeare in the Park is the adaptation of Merry Wives of Windsor. Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah, but it, it is uh, a musical version. Uh, it seems like it. Option. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that's going to be um, ho- hopefully positive. Uh, news and yeah. and mm-hmm. folks are going to get back into you know you know turning the Broadway switch on is uh, is a long lead time uh, so you know they they've got to in in many cases recontract people recast people uh, get people in rehearsal and uh, you know do whatever uh, new implementation of safety checks need to be I mean this is not. You know, I think that uh, that if they're going to open in September, they've really got to start uh, yeah, the whole process soon, yeah. this week. This do, week. Uh, do you feel that uh, people who have done these shows for years, let's say a show like Wicked, uh, for example, mm-hmm. uh, do you feel that they'll need as much rehearsal as, as if they were starting from square one? So the interesting part about that and interesting that you bring up Wicked is that uh, I, I know somebody that was in Wicked who uh, – uh, was in Wicked when Broadway closed and will not be returning um, mm-hmm. because they moved out of state and they have a new career and things like that. So that's just anecdotal, but I'm, su- mm. I'm supposing that they're going to have to, you know, uh, a show like Wicked has got so many alumni and so many people who want to be in it that I'm sure that they can, you know, recast and get back up and running much easier than something something new uh who mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. who is the uh who is the guy who was doing a play and he's no longer doing it hollywood star i can't remember uh so uh i can't remember he was uh one of these stars that was coming in to do a play at roundabout or something and was it army, take me out? army hammer Oh Army, yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 But in the midst, yeah. other yeah. reasons, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. so, <laughs> so like you know, in the minutes is going to have to recast and re uh, and and re rehearse and things like that. I think it's a little bit um, of a different scenario than the long running shows, and mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare in the Park is Is Merry Wives is the title, uh, July 6th through August 29th, uh, a fresh and joyous adaptation by Jocelyn Bayo, uh, directed by Sahim Ali. Actually, this does not say it's musical, but I think uh-huh. it's going to have a lot of music in it. It probably will, yeah. 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 And yeah. that show needs help. I mean, that play, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, the rumor has that the Queen Elizabeth said to Shakespeare, I'd like to see Falstaff in a comedy. I, I wasn't there. I don't know. Mm. But um, anyway, uh, a, a real commercial play uh, was the result and um, not not his finest hour. But anyway, we'll be glad to be there. In yeah. the discussion of the return of Broadway, I keep saying, but uh, um no announcement has yet proven me correct that I would think that some of the first shows that would come back would be the shows by the non not-for-profit theaters because they have such short runs and are not dependent on tourists. Uh, I, so I think in, that, I think that we're going to have a, a flurry of announcements this week. Yeah. Uh, wow. I mean, we, uh, I've gotten some embargoed stuff that's going to be ah. talked about on, on Monday morning, uh-huh. but we'll have a flurry of announcements. I think this week of, 
of uh, you know, schedules and who's returning. And, um, you know, they, they want to put tickets on sale as soon as possible to start building their, their advances. So uh, I think that that's going to happen. Uh, Anthony, Jan- Tony Janicki in the chat room also brings up, uh, he says, the big question is, will Broadway require vaccination passports for admittance to a show? And I guess that that's a big political football because maybe, uh, but I don't mind showing my papers. No, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, what's going to, I guess we're going to have to, we'll see what the Broadway protocols are going to be as they start announcing uh, when they're going to return and at what level they're going to return. But uh, I think the vaccine passport is a big, uh, is a big polarizing line between mm. those who chose to get a vaccine and those who are still waiting. I mean, it talks out of, out of Florida are that uh, emergency rooms down in Florida for people who are not getting vaccines. You have a lot of uh, 50-year-old white men passing away, which mm. is uh, a shame mm. that they, they don't have to. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, We also had in the news this week that Olympia Dukakis passed away at the age of 89. So, uh, Peter, ha- what are your remembrances of Olympia? Quite a few, actually, because uh, she was a member of the Charles Playhouse um, repertory company uh, back in the 60s. And I uh, here I am growing up in Boston and desperately wanting to live in New York and thinking that Boston is this hick town and all that. And I remember seeing in the paper that Hamlet was being done and playing Gertrude was Olympia Dukakis. It's the first time I saw that name. And I said, look at this. Look at who's here uh, playing uh, a part in Hamlet. Look at this name, this strange name. We get all the third-rate, fourth-rate talent here in Boston with all the good stuff's happening in New York. (laughs) Um, But somebody gave me a ticket to a production of Mother Courage and Her Children that she did. And uh, again, a free ticket is not to be sniffed at. Um, uh, So uh, especially back in those days when I was uh, a student and didn't have any money. Um, So I went and holy God, whoa. And it was so nice to be able to tell her years later because uh, when I was the critic for the Star Ledger in New Jersey, she was a big New Jersey power. I missed her entire time at the whole theater, W-H-O-L-E, that she had in Monclay, New Jersey, right on Bloomfield Avenue. I never saw a production there. I didn't even know about it. So I came in late to that. But um, the fact is we had many, many pleasant times together because occasionally she would do um, a show here and there in New Jersey. Uh, Of course, the whole theater essentially disappeared after she won her Oscar for uh, Moonstruck. And of course, she had um, bigger opportunities than she had before. But she and her husband, Louis, were really, really terrific to me. I was at their house many, many times. I remember at a memorial service, I went up and uh, talked about an actor named Tom Brennan. And when I came back, Louis Orch said, did you ever think of being an actor? And I said, no, definitely not. I have no talent. And he went, ah, as if to say, what a lost <laughs> opportunity. And it, I, I take it as a compliment, um, but <laughs> he's disgusted at uh, this lost opportunity. But, you know, when I told her about seeing her in Mother Courage um, and how it really changed my life, uh, it, it really did because um, suddenly I was getting interested in plays that I wasn't interested in before. You know, the, the European plays, uh, the Brecht plays, um, the Beckett plays. I mean, she opened that door to me. And I remember her saying, Peter, that was always within you. Um, this was nothing that I really brought out of you. It would have happened 
without me. And I remember her being very gracious about that. My last fond memory of her really had much to do with the person she was speaking to. And um, she was down at the public theater and doing a show with Jonathan Groff. And I was in the lobby to uh, interview Nilo Cruz, uh, the Pulitzer Prize winner for Anna in the Tropics. And I was watching them talk and she was doing more talking than he was. But the look on his face was so impressive in the way that he was, I could tell he was saying, this woman has so much to teach me. I can learn so much from this woman. I am so lucky to be hearing what she's saying to me. And um, and that's my fondest memory uh, of the last few years. Uh, <laughs> I, I was seeing more in his face than I was seeing in hers from where I was sitting. But um, I think he was right. She did have a lot to teach us. And um, she has a wonderful memoir called Ask Me Again Tomorrow, which really tells a lot about who she is and how she really became who she was. Uh, so um, it, it, I, I was sad to see it happen, needless to say, considering our history together. Hmm. Michael, any thoughts? Well, I think I only saw her on stage three times. One was the play that Peter just alluded to down at the public, which was called The Singing Forest. Uh, and unfortunately, I I personally did not like the play very much at all. And then she was in a play on Broadway in 2000 called Rose, yeah. uh, which was written by Martin Sherman. And I uh, that only ran a month. I, I really, really did not like that one either as far as the writing. And that was a huge disappointment because I love Martin Sherman <laughs> as the author of Bent, Bent which I yeah. think is a truly great play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this was a, a one person show, correct? Yeah. I yeah. Think. Uh, and she I don't even remember. She was a Holocaust survivor and she talked a lot about that, but I don't remember a lot about it. It really I just did not think it was successful. And then um, the other the, the fi uh, final thing that I saw her in was the Encore's production of 70 Girls 70, which, again, was a tremendous disappointment because for whatever reason, um, uh, and I, I think this was a, a you know a general reaction uh, th that everyone had. She, uh, Mr. Caucus, was had her face buried in her script uh, throughout, and she had it was a very low energy performance. I, I, I guess she just wasn't used to performing, uh, you know, on that kind of a schedule of whatever, like one week of rehearsal or and and one week of performance, a very limited rehearsal time, and I, I, I guess. She, she maybe she didn't she didn't put enough prep time into it she didn't realize what was involved i i, I do think it's sad that it seems to me that in in her later life she, that she made several um unfortunate decisions as to what shows to do uh and etc because she was a prodigious prodigious talent her performance in in the movie of moonstruck is just uh, it's one for the ages, as far as I'm concerned. I, I never had, unlike Peter, I never had the pleasure of really getting to know her. I do remember seeing her in the audience, she and her husband, Louis Zorick, at uh, a show at New York Theater Workshop. And I was a little reluctant to approach her because I didn't know her, but I, I, I just felt like I had to say something. So I, I said hello to them both. And she was like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> she, she was so, so sweet. and. Uh, 
and really uh, some other wonderful things that she did were the uh, I think uh, more than one uh, uh, well the, the the TV version of Tales of the City Armistead Maupin oh yeah and then uh, I think one or two sequels to it yeah and uh, and I only saw the film of Steel Magnolias once many years ago uh, but I remember that she was wonderful in that and and uh got a lot of positive feedback for that performance as well uh, and i also remember when her cousin her, her cousin correct yes, michael yes, michael indeed. dukakis yes. <laughs> uh ran for president she was very much a supporter and, and she was very much out Even in her oscar acceptance speech she mentioned oh yeah, yeah. oh yes absolutely right. absolutely yeah. so that's that's a, a kind of neat little well, more than a footnote, I would say, to her career, just that connection with uh, Michael Dukakis. And of course, it's in a way, I suppose, maybe it's ironic that ultimately, certainly her name means more <laughs> and probably will mean more, you know, going down in history uh, than Michael Dukakis, because, of course, he wasn't successful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The irony uh, is when you talk about her late in life decisions, one decision she made that was really quite galvanizing mm-hmm. uh, was an adaptation of King Lear. It was called The Lear Project, and she did it at Montclair and uh, at uh, Luna Stage when it was there. And who was in the audience but Yogi Berra? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know uh, who I mean, uh, he was a catcher for the New York Yankees um, and uh, caught the perfect game that Don Larson threw uh, on October 8th, 1956. And um, the thing is that <sighs> I thought, you know, who would think that you'd be watching King Lear portrayed by a woman and that Yogi Berra would be in the audience. I mean, that's quite a combination. And what I really wanted to have happen was to have him fall asleep <laughs> and have his wife, who was a patron of the arts out there in Moncler, that's why he was there, stab him in the side with her elbow saying, it ain't over till it's over. You know, but <laughs> that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Yeah. So. Like Ted Cruz falling asleep. Yes, indeed. <laughs> So, uh, all right. So before we wrap it up for today, um, I wanted to mention that the New York Times events had a uh, feature. It was about an hour long called Bringing uh, Broadway Back in Australia. Uh, and it is a one-hour panel where they talk with Jeffrey Seller and they, they have the casts uh, frozen and uh, come from away perform in Australia and talking about how they're bringing back uh, theater and Broadway in Australia. Um, it's in the show notes. Uh, you can't find it. It's unlisted on YouTube. So if you don't go to the show notes, you're not going to be able to find it directly on YouTube. It, it was a very, really interesting thing. So check that out if you uh, get a chance. On a related note, theater is going on other places. I, I know Charlie... Char- well, yes. And Charlie Williams, uh, who's been a dancer on Broadway in several shows and I guess assistant choreographer to um, Rob Ashford, uh, he, he's been um, going on social media. He is now in Tokyo uh, putting up a, a Frozen there. And uh, I guess he arrived only to have a, an earthquake occur mm. uh but apparently he's okay so wow <laughs> yeah there's uh, enough. yeah in tokyo and south korea they've been doing a ton of musical theater for a while the uh, production of phantom of the opera opened in south korea about a month six weeks ago or so uh with new frozen uh, with new protocols uh it's going to be very interesting to see the 
there there's seems like there's not going to be any stage dooring anymore or visitors backstage they're going to mm, they're creating two sense. two zones between backstage and uh front of house and you shall not cross the line in between and they were talking about tommy schumacher from disney when he was in the audience and went backstage he had to put on uh personal protective gear to protect the performers and everybody in the backstage area and he's he he uh he made a reference to it. It was it was some something like wearing a spacesuit because of all all the stuff, the precautions that he was taking to mm. uh, protect the folks that are. So I wonder how that's going to change the uh, the stage dooring and things like that. Um, so we'll see what happens. So Michael, yes. what is our musical moment for this week? Oh, did you want to do it before trivia? Oh. <laughs> I, have it, I have it listed backwards. Sure. So here. So we'll do this one next. Peter, what's the answer to last week's trivia? <laughs> if Pig Latin were applied to the name of a musical from the 70s, you'd get a word that is often heard in hospitals and medical offices. What's the name of the musical in both English and Pig Latin? Well, the Richard Rogers, Sheldon Harnick, Sherman Yellen musical produced in 1976 was called Rex, about Henry VIII and his disposing of or beheading five of his six wives. The plot like that, you sure couldn't have called it Henry Sweet Henry. But anyway, if you subject <laughs> Rex to Pig Latin, you get a term that is indeed heard in hospitals and medical offices, X-ray. So that's the answer to that. Tony Janicki got it within a minute of its being asked. He usually joins us live every week, followed by only a few minutes later by Juliet Green and Cheryl Hodges Selden, who tune in live too. Then came Steve Bell, Mike Meany, Brigadude, Joanna Abizi, Paul Witte, Deb Popple, Sean Logan, Josh Israel, and Stephen Brown. Stephen Brown, by the way, also, uh, his first guest was uh, Pearly, which comes out as early pay, uh, which is, <laughs> yeah, that's a good two words, but I don't know if it has anything to do with um, the medical office and hospital, but still, uh, <laughs> it, it was fun to hear early pay. This week's question. And speaking of Richard Rogers, a character in one of his musicals has a boyfriend named Alfredo. What's the show and what's the name of the character? Hmm. Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So now, Michael, what do we have in the musical moment? Well, I had had uh, something else picked out, but in honor of Gretchen Cryer instead, uh, who, who uh, we got Gretchen on fairly short notice. So I thought, hmm, what could we use? And well, maybe I guess my favorite song she ever wrote with Nancy Ford is Old Friend from I'm Getting My Act Together and Taking It Out the Road. Um, not to be confused with Old Friends which is the Stephen mm. Sondheim song from Merrily We Roll Along. But no, this is another wonderful song from another show. And it is uh, music by Nancy Ford, lyrics by Gretchen Cryer. Um, the setup is, well, it's about someone singing. Uh, uh, actually, let me just quote the, the, the lyrics right at the beginning. It starts out, love is rare, life is strange, nothing lasts, 
people change. And then it goes on. Every time I've lost another lover, I call up my old friend and I say, let's get together. I'm under the weather. Another love has come to an end. And she listens as I tell her my sad story and wonders at my taste in men. And we ponder why I do it and the pain of getting through it. And she laughs and says, you'll do it again. Um, so that last line there is a perfect illustration of what Gretchen was talking about, uh, about how uh, you, you can't be too self, you can't be self-pitying or too heavy-handed in a, in a one-person show because then it gets lugubrious and weepy, and that's always a big mistake. Uh, this is a beautiful song about a friendship that lasts when romantic relationships maybe don't. And the recording um, we're going to feature is uh, is a recording from 1991 by the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, uh, which was done when I was in the chorus. Uh, the title of the album is Love Lives On. And uh, this is an arrangement by Larry Moore. And I think it's a beautiful, really beautiful arrangement of a beautiful song. We changed the pronouns, but one, one of the wonderful things about the song is it's so universal. It could be a woman singing about a, a female friend mm -hmm. or a man singing about a female friend or a man singing mm -hmm. about a male friend, etc. It's really it's very universal. It has nothing to do with with gender. And I I've always loved the song. I think the lyric is by Gretchen is just so simple and so beautiful and the and the music likewise so please enjoy old friend i almost brought it up when um hmm. when we were talking to her because that really became a cabaret standard in the early 80s absolutely was, yeah i went to many of many a cabaret and that was included in the act so for those who missed it here it is it's a terrific song and aside from the recording that we're going to play here in the show notes we also have renee elise goldsberry singing it as well so oh wonderful might, yeah. great all right, so on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.